This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Cyril with Insider Perks. I think we're going to be missing Kara today. She's at another conference. She really doesn't stop going to those and leveling up her education, and I feel like I'm way behind her. But someday we'll make time to catch up. So we do have our recurring panel of open discussion guests here. Super excited to have all all of these guys back, as well as some new faces, too. So we're missing Scott Foos today. He couldn't make the show. We have Mark Kep, obviously. We have Sandy Ellingson. We have two new phases for this week. Mike Harrison is moving from week three, right, Mike? There's so many weeks. To week one to join us here. And then we've got a new face, Christine Taylor from the town law firm, who's going to be joining us on a recurring basis here once a month to discuss legal issues, things like that. So we're going to be doing some shuffling of guests around and things like that, but we're excited to see where that's going and always excited to hear from new voices. So what do we got on the table today, guys? What's exciting? What's new? New and exciting. Well, I guess there, there, there's tons of stuff out there and in my world. You and I have been talking a lot about AI in general. And actually, I think it's very interesting that even law firms are adopting it. There's some big law firms who have now been using AI to help start with the initial drafts and save money by having the computer do some heavy lifting people you know that actually has completely entered into my realm now so it hasn't yet replaced me because i tried it out the other day for a contract to see what it would put out versus what i did and they put out a page and a half and i put out k so we're still a little bit far apart but it definitely started out quite similar to the one i drafted from my own brain and we've been talking about it you've been posting about it but I really do think it's a way to make kind of attorney services more accessible to the mass. I've been doing a big push to try to get people to have something. So if using those AI tools helps you do some of that, that's super important. So I'm excited that it's trying to make things more accessible to people because the economic barrier is what keeps a lot of people out of the legal services part. So I am very interested to see how they started to morph already as something that's still relatively new in my space. Yeah, I have something to show you briefly, but first, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us for the audience. Yeah. That's my fault. I should have said that first, right? Before I just kind of forget. Oh, do you have anything to talk about? We won't introduce our new guests. So I'm Christine Taylor. A lot of people have heard from me before, maybe not. So I grew up in the camping industry. My parents bought their first campground when I was nine years old. That was in the Yogi franchise. And then they had subsequently a couple more campgrounds in the KOA franchise. And now I know my mother misses it and she's getting back into it and going to buy another campground. I went away to law school and I graduated and realized that most hospitality attorneys were more hotel focused and didn't know a lot about what was going on in the outdoor hospitality sphere. So I realized that that was something I grew up in. So I have made it both my niche practice area and my passion project to make sure that outdoor hospitality catches up with the rest of the hospitality sector 
and has the protections they need, the policies they need, the procedures they need, and know what to do, you know, when the inevitable happens and you do finally get synced or something. Welcome. Thank you for being here. For everybody who's watching and for our recurring panel of guests here, Christine's going to do two things for us every month. One is 75%, 50% of what she's going to do is talk about legal and important things. And the other 50% is make sure that I don't say anything that gets me legally in trouble, which is great. I mean, she'll be talking the whole time. Yeah. I'll say, isn't that too late if she has to weigh in? Maybe. Should we have a delay? Does the Super Bowl still have a delay? Like a button she can press to censor? Like a dump. Like a dump. Yeah. Yeah, probably well, you just have to put the disclaimers as we do all the time. Like I say them before I get any of this. And I'm like, dude, I am an attorney and this is advice, but I am neither your attorney nor is this legal advice. So you just throw those disclaimers on everything to be like, I made it clear to you to not listen to anything I was saying, really. So that you can rely on. Well, I definitely want to touch a little bit on what is involved in what's come across your desk recently from a legal perspective, things like that, that campgrounds need to pay attention to, because obviously this is your first episode. Before I lose too much track though, check this out when you have a chance. I came across, this is something called Harvey.ai, which is for elite law firms. And I don't know what it does. I can't get into it, but maybe you want to join the waitlist and find out. But this is what I was talking about. And there already are law firms. So we've used a lot of, not poor people, but we've used a lot of computer technology over the years. Way before I was an attorney, the only way you could get any information about cases and stuff like that was physically going to a legal library and sifting through the books. We don't do that. Yeah, that's what I think this is. It's a case law research. So yeah. they're doing it for you. So instead, we have case, we have research programs now where I do the research. So it's like Google dust for law, essentially. And they're like really only two big players and a couple others. But what this is, they used to have at those companies, they still do what they call research attorneys. So if I can't find something, I could call up and be like, hi, have you ever seen anything about this? Like a campground getting sued for food poisoning or something. And they'd be like, oh, there's a case or there's no case. This is, I think, eliminating those positions because the AI should help inform your search. Be like, Chrissy, those are bad search terms. Here's the correct search terms you should be using to bring that up. So it is interesting and should hypothetically make attorneys more efficient. And since all I sell is time, if I'd spend less time doing things, then it would make the client bill less. Clients would enjoy it. Either way, it works. Like, I don't think it's going to even come close to replacing lawyers. I think it's going to replace lawyers who don't use AI is what it's going to do, which is going to make the people who are willing to play with it much more successful. So I have a follow-up question for you, Christine. Since so much of AI is dependent upon what's already online, that's where it researches and finds things. And so many of our parks are still somewhat backwards. Not a lot of the data that we have and the information we have is kept online. How comfortable are you if a park used an AI bot to go out and write a legal document that it would actually save them money? If they brought that legal document to you and then said, hey, will you review this for us? Would you feel that that was going to save them time and money? Or do you feel like you'd be reading it and still having to rewrite it? Depends what it is. That's just such a typical lawyer question. We say depends all the time. But in this case, I really think it would. So for example... I was saying at the beginning, like, there's an agreement that I was working on that I was just curious. So I stood in there to see what puts up. It did not have any of the terms that I would want in it. There's certain things that I tuck in every contract. We call them the, like, catch-all. But if it's something, like, Brian and I have done a lot of talk about waiver, I always say that I prefer you have something instead of nothing. 
So if that's a good entry where I used to send people before I saw money saving tip if they weren't going to hire me is I would say, look at the college in your city and they're guaranteed to have used some kind of waiver or release at some point for some activity on that college campus. And we know those colleges have attorneys. So if you at least try to model some of the terms in that document, it would give you something that I would feel is better than frankly of the passing on Facebook. And I appreciate that people try to help other, but since a lot of law is so state specific, you should go to a state source. So I think that if you're careful in your terms and you get some things there, it's helpful. It's helpful to have something. No, depending on what the document is, I might tell you easier for me to use the template that I use all the time, but if it's something that I'd be creating newly for you anyway, if, it, if you can use it and outline your thoughts in it and save me having to ask you questions, that would save some time and money. And a good example of that is I once had a really creative campground who essentially rented a campground site to a food truck for the entire season so they could have food service but not be food service. So we had to come up with a food truck like license agreement for the particular use of a campsite. And we were ironing out what that relationship looked like for them. And there would be no example of that. So if they had been able to put their thoughts down on a piece of paper beforehand and seeing what an AI or anything generated for them, then I can be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I totally agree with those terms. Oh, we're missing something. But I'd have a better idea of what you're looking for instead of what happens to me now, which is you give me an idea and then I send you back 30 questions and then you answer them and I start writing something and then I give you a draft and you're like, oh, no, I thought of something else and I add something else into it. So cuts down on some of that back and forth if you have a clear idea of what you're looking for before you ever approach. Yeah, and I think that all it's about is efficiency, right? That's what we've always been talking about. And I don't want to talk about AI the whole show, right? But I think that's all it is, Sandy. It's just a way to not replace a lawyer, but to maybe save them some time, save you some time. So you're actually having a phone call with Christine and saying, I know 5% of what I'm asking you. And so there's a, just a, a way to make everybody more efficient and maybe save some dollars. It's the same thing as templates, right? Like you would go to a template website and download one, except maybe this is a little bit better. But So what else, Christine, from a legal perspective is on your, has come across your plate recently? So this past year, the two things that have happened more than anything else, unfortunately, are employment lawsuits. So I've had more employees or former employees suing employers ever before. It's not even industry specific, but to be honest, it's come up more for campgrounds than I've ever seen before. And it's all over the map. I'm not sure it's going away. I think as the economy continues to flex that we're going to see more of that. It's still somewhat responsive to 2020 and the shifting chain of employee-employer relations thing. And at least in the United States, it's changed a lot of legal interpretation. So there's some laws that for the last 100 years on the book, judges have decided X. And it was very employer friendly. And then some reason in 2020, they suddenly changed their mind and decided one. And now it's very employee friendly. So that's somewhat problematic because now, it, especially I'd say a lot of my campground clients are doing something incorrect in the employment here. And if they're not actively working to clean up their relationships, I think it's going to hit them pretty hard. And then the second one is I have had more campers abandoned their camping units on campgrounds than ever before. It had always happened that people stopped paying their seasonal agreement or whatever and just left their trailer, but it's now happened 
all over the country and like multiple times per campground. And it's surprisingly a lot more difficult to remove these campers legally than you would think. And I have some people who for the last 40 years have put the ball in their court and let the campers go away. But I now currently have a pending lawsuit in a state where the person who ignored them for almost three years is now countersing them for the value of that trailer they made go away. So those are unfortunately the two things where I've seen more than ever before. And I think it is somewhat responsive to where the economy has shifted in the last few. Let's, if nobody's objected here, can we unpack some of that? And Mike and Mark, you can certainly comment. And Sandy, you're here too, I think, on and off. But let's unpack the first one first, like employee-employer relations. What in your view, I have a couple questions and then just one thought before you start. But employee-employer relations, what impacts that? What causes people to want to sue? Is there things that you can do as a campground to help prevent that? I think from my perspective, the easiest low-hanging fruit just being a business owner is maybe don't be mean to your employees, which is, right? Like culture is what I mean overall, but go ahead. Tell it. Is there anything you want to share? And then Mike and Mark, please jump in at any point. I'd say the number one is knowing the laws that kind of apply to you. So the one that always kills everybody is that, at least in the United States, can't volunteer for a for-profit business. So, you know, if your rec staff is made up of a bunch of kids volunteering their time to help you, technically illegal. And what that means is if they got mad or they got hurt or anything and they turned around and reported to the Department of Labor, you'd have some hefty fine and you know, and then they'll wait for all that time they volunteered when they shouldn't be. You know, that's a number one issue. So like knowing these kind of laws that apply, just because you pay someone a salary doesn't mean they're exempt from overtime. If you don't meet those salary thresholds, then they're still considered a non-exempt employee that you would have to pay overtime wage. The problem is that with the came the ability for people to share information. And as we just talked about being more informed about things, people are more informed in general. So there's all these movements online, the anti-work movements, where it sounds weird and it doesn't mean they don't want to work, but they are now sharing employment laws. And I casually follow them because I'm always curious what's out there. And they will share. They'll be like, oh, you're entitled to overtime because of this. Or they now have done a deep dive kind of on these laws. And you don't want your employees to know the law better. Than so make sure all your relationships, all your how you're hiring employees, how you're paying them, follow your laws. That would be the number one tip. So the first thing that comes to my mind is, and I'm just hearing this from a business owner and I know how much I need to know to run my business is that's one more thing that I have to learn everything about all the things to make sure, right? Cause I'm just a, not just the camera editor, but I'm not like somebody with 40 people on my staff who can, I can just task somebody with this. So how do you decide where your time goes to, is it, oh, the answer I think, but is it critical to have a lawyer on retainer or? I think it's helpful. Not, again, all I saw is myself, right? So I would generally recommend people have attorneys. I try to do a pretty good job of telling people it's not worth it economically for us. Because I know it's just another line item. That's all I am in the long run. It's just another line item. The only reason I flagged this one specifically is because some people go, oh, I had a payroll company and they paid extra for this HR thing where they were supposed to tell me that I would comply with the laws and as they were changing. And then we had some people sued because payroll was processing correctly according to some of these state laws. 
And they were like, can I sue my payroll company? And if you read that payroll contract, they very clearly state that they're not responsible for any of those lawsuits. You indemnify them for that. It's still all on you. And the state law in a lot of those states says, even if you use a payroll company, they're not responsible. You as a business owner are still the one on the hook for any like things that are done incorrectly. I always say pick the team that works for you. So if you're someone who's really savvy in this space, you don't need me for this. Maybe you suck at marketing. So you put pour all your money into the Marks and the Bryans and the stuff of that world because that's what you suck at. But you need you don't need my help for employment. Or maybe you're really good at something else so you have extra money to shift towards it. I at least recommend that once every couple of years, you have an attorney look at your stuff. I have some people who I say I heard from in, I don't know, 2020, and I haven't heard from again because we like redid their paperwork. We talked about their business operation and they've been good. Nothing's come up at all because they just redid everything, did that big money upfront investment, and they've been fine. Conversely, I have some people who acquire messes, if you will. So it's been a multi-year approach trying to clean those up because Economically, you only have so much of a pot and you have to piece it out. But I would recommend that if you don't feel comfortable in whatever the space is, whether it's law or anything else, that you find the person. So that's, I mean, that, yeah, honestly, that's excellent advice. And Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this in a second. But before we do that, talking about strengths and weaknesses, it's been 18 minutes and 47 seconds before I got to thank our sponsor, which is Fireside Accounting for the show. And that's my weakness is numbers and accounting and all kinds of other stuff. So if you are looking for somebody who can take care of your accounting and has specific knowledge of outdoor hospitality and all the intricacies that go into making sure you get the deductions and tax credits and all those things that we're talking about, you might miss with law, you might miss with accounting too, you might miss with whatever your strength or weaknesses is, then reach out maybe to Lindsay and her team at Fireside Accounting because they are definitely experts and we appreciate them sponsoring this show. Mike, what do you think? Uh, how do you identify your strengths and weaknesses of some of your parks? Or maybe with you in general? Hey, you know, I, I fell asleep there for a minute. So sorry, let me wake myself back back up. Talking employment law. So I think Christine makes a lot of great points. And really what we're talking about is risk mitigation. That's, I think, the general approach to how anybody should look at their business. And that's a combination of how much do you have in your budget? What's your tolerance, what you're going to be willing to spend, et cetera. So obviously a lot of our businesses are a bit larger and not necessarily a small mom and pop, a couple hundred thousand dollar businesses. So our resources are a little bit bigger, but we, we have a team that's specifically geared around compliance. If we're talking about payroll and employment law, and there are protection to make sure that we have the right labor law post just did. When does the tax change for the state of Arizona happen? What is the difference between California law and Arizona law? Quite significant. What are the differences of all the different criteria that go into it? So is it perfect? No. But does it help us clear 90% of the hurdles to make sure that we're doing the best things so that we don't open ourselves to potential situations? It absolutely does. At the end of the day, though, the operations business, it is a high touch, high transaction, and there's always going to be issues. There's always going to be employment issues. And I think to Christine's point, I think what's changed is a couple of things. One, my wife, who's also in the hospitality industry, we talk about this all the time. Interestingly, guests and employees have become more grumpy, we think, since COVID has happened, right? There's less tolerance, there's less. And so people are looking for outlets. And so I think that's part of what Christine is seeing is the dynamic has changed. 
The shareability, just as Christine described, is much more available. So there are pages like Work Camper on Facebook. There's Work Camper with Wages on Facebook. So everybody shares the story and then they chime in. And so it's much more readily available where if you were a Work Camper five, six, eight years ago and you had a, a bad situation and they didn't take care of you, then it's you're on your own. Now there's a cadre of resources behind you and an army of pitchforks saying, oh, take care of this. Number two. Number three is I think the industry is changing and evolving. Ten years ago, work campers, it was one of those hush unspoken, I'll give you your site for free, do all this work, really not regulated, not looked at. And there are a lot more associations that are looking at that much more intently. Now, we generally have never approached it from a traditional work camper relationship. We absolutely have work campers and people that are traveling around the country. Sorry for my virtual background blur here that travel around the country, but we pay them a full wage. We want to be covered by workman's compensation and insurance and all the things that go with it. So we since we come from the hospitality background, we approach it much more from a, our, our taxes and benefits are higher than a traditional RV hospitality company because of that. However, our incident ratio and any lawsuits and all those kinds of things are much lower. So would you rather pay for it on the front end or have a much higher, because, because those other situations, rarely are they two or three or $4,000, right? You can be hit with a couple hundred thousand dollar lawsuit and wipe you out. So we approach it from a risk mitigation standpoint with professional services. We don't necessarily have a lawyer on retainer, but we do have several legal resources that we tap into as we need them. So I hope that helps. Now, do we agree, Mark and Sandy, you're being very quiet over there. So we agree that employees are grumpy. Are you guys grumpy or are you just falling asleep like Mike did? What's happening over there? Do we no, agree? The big thing that I see is, is there's this kind of bifurcation of the industries. There, there's these large investment groups that are buying and or building these very large resorts. They have the money, the budget, the experience to run professional operations and handle their payroll very well. On the other side, there's a lot of normal campground owners who have 40 to 70 sites. It's a small park. They don't make a lot of money on it. They haven't generally paid for employees. They've had work campers all along. And you know what's changed? What's changed is what Christine just said. Your work campers have materially changed. That is no longer a line item that you cannot pay for. You now need to have those people as employees. That battle is a really hard one. If you've run that park for 25 years and you've had work campers, it's actually, there's almost a disbelief that person is going to sue you. Guess what? They're going to sue you now. There's a because different you're not used to it. It's been in your yeah. head for 20, 34 years that exactly. this person can be free if I go to a forum and get them in a recruitment and give them a site. Bingo. And, you know, and I, Mike covered it really well with the forums that are out there. They, they can go online now, work, learn. And this is put yourself in their shoes. They've been working as a work camper for you for 15 years for a campsite that they could have paid for 500 bucks. They do the math and they find out, wow, I'm actually only getting paid $2 an hour. They then go to Facebook and they post that. And they get 50 responses that saying, you've been screwed. You need to go talk to X, Y, and Z because they can get your money. All the while, as the owner of a park, that you have 70 sites. At the end of the year, you probably pocket $100,000 in revenue off that. That's your income. You're not rich. But guess what? That dude who's been working as a work camper, he thinks you're rich. He thinks you've got a lot of money. And so he's coming after you in a lawsuit because to him, it doesn't, him or her or they, it's a couple. They're coming after you because they view you as having more money and having taken advantage of them. So it's a really hard conversation. You see it in the Facebook group all the time where people are like, I've been doing this for years. And it's, yeah, you've been doing it for years. And the fact that you haven't been sued is awesome. Congratulations. But guess what? You're going to get sued. And when it happens, it could end your business. It could bankrupt you. Really hard question, right? You say like they think they've been taken advantage of, but let's be honest, they have. Yes. Not willingly. Well, it's... 
deceptively and not in an evil way, but they have. Yeah, not in an evil way. I think that's the right way to put it. They, it's been an agreement that they've had that everybody's been okay with until they recognize that, wait a second, I have been taken advantage of and there are some sort of repercussions for that. So that's where hiring a professional attorney, maybe even in advance to take a look at what you've done over the last five years and, and, and go to Christine and say, hey, I've had these three work campers. They've been exchanging a site for the last three years. I don't think they're going to sue me, but what can I do? to either make sure they don't compensate them accordingly or is there, or do I just keep my mouth shut? Really understanding what you're doing and then having a plan for going forward, it's incredibly important. There's a lot of folks, especially on that side that are running like the hip camps and stuff like that, that have five, 10 sites. They have a lot in the back of their personal property that they're running out. The liability risks that you're taking on by doing that are so significant that it's not even worth it. I was actually just talking to somebody who was saying, yeah, I'm going to buy this house and there's an Airbnb underneath it. And I simply laid out the map for them. And they're like, okay, we don't want to do that. That The math doesn't make sense because you're not going to make enough to compensate you for the additional insurance. So that's the side that I think is more riskier. The folks that are running on that shoestring with a smaller park who are watching this going, dude, shut up. I don't want to know this stuff because it's going to completely ruin my day. I hope it ruins your day and doesn't ruin your business. So this is something that you need to act on. Now. I think anybody's day, but I, un I understand what my mark yeah, I think, Mark, to your point, there's, this happens all the time, right? There's evolution. If I go back 30 years ago, I was in the restaurant and bar business and two, three o'clock in the morning after your restaurant closes, y'all get behind the bar and open up the keg and y'all hang, you know, that can't happen anymore. 30 years ago, it was common practice, right? 30 years ago, how we were treating our workers is very different than how we're treating them today. And to your point, a situation that Brian used the word evil, I don't think it's evil at all. I think it's just conditional. It's, really? it's yeah. this is... Yeah, this is what's happened. The world has evolved and changed and our industry needs to evolve and change to it. Whether you're a small mom and pop or whether you're a large corporation. And going back to your point earlier, what's the other risk mitigation piece is culture, right? So if you're treating people how you want to be treated, you're going to forestall a lot of these lawsuits. There are some people, there's just nothing you can do anything about. They are who they are and it is what it is. But if you're treating people right in the beginning and you're communicating and you have situation, you have discussion and there's open communication, you'll solve a lot of these things. Where these go south is an owner has probably done something wrong or they haven't communicated well or there's a misunderstanding and then just heads off down the deep end. So I agree and with you. have no interest in sure. fixing it or correcting it. or And that's the thing is it's just yeah. like online reviews, right? We need, and it's obviously a bigger stake. But when you deal with online reviews, they usually come to you first and ask you to solve their problem. And then they email and then they call. And the last place they do, most people, is go post it online because they can't get any customer service any other way. So again, whether it's culture in the beginning or just being there and saying, hey, listen, maybe I made a mistake to protect myself, but let me now go fix it for you. What can I do to help you? Because I didn't ever want to do this to you. And Christine, I got a question for you on this because it came up a couple of weeks ago on the Facebook group. So the question is for folks that have had work campers and they've been like giving away a free site or such. The general advice, obviously it varies, but the general advice is at a minimum, you need to be paying them minimum wage, logging their hours, paying them. You can, and this is my belief, I don't know if this is accurate. So can you give them a discounted site rate that they then comp, they pay you for and you count that? So that way they don't have to log it as a deferred salary or whatever, or unpaid income. How is the best way to structure, in general, how's the best way to structure those arrangements? Some of this starts seeping into an accountant side. Another plug for our sponsor over here. Some of this means some of the things you can talk to. Myerside Accounting, Lindsay Foods. Okay. You should talk to about them. This is where legal services and accounting services, because it, it's in both 
sides of that equation. But from a kind of tax law loophole, if it's a job that only a work camper is fulfilling and you aren't going to charge them at all, you can make living on site and part of their employment, like they're a requirement. And in which case they don't have to report it as an income. That's the loophole that's been around for a long time. If you want them to pay or they're doing the same position as 600 other people, it'd be very hard to be like, Sally and Billy have to live on site as part of their employment, but they do the same job as people who don't have to. But that would be the easiest way. Some people do what's called, and I always say, tend to stay away from lease agreements, but you can do an ancillary employee lease agreement and specifically an employee lease agreement. But you say you tie it to the employment. In some states, that means that different kind of statutes would apply if you were removing them. So for example, in New York, I had someone who rented the above the store to this particular manager for managing, and then they parted ways and they need to get this person out. If it was a regular tenant, the notice periods and everything are a lot longer because if it was an employee tenant, they were like week-long period, very short. So, you know, that's the way to do it. But if you're going to want to be paid for it, want to make sure you paper it up in such way because you want to be able to remove them if your relationship soured. So besides the whole monetary income thing, I'd be very careful how you structure it because that relationship fell apart. Removing them could be difficult if you didn't set it up correct. So let's pivot this for a second and say, okay, I'm one of the campgrounders that Mark is talking about, right? 50, 70 sites, 80 sites, whatever the number is, right? And I'm a smaller campground owner. I don't have a big staff. I don't have the resources that maybe a Mike and CRR has, right? How do I then, if I'm used to doing this for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, how do I adjust my finances or my rates that I'm charging? Or how do I make sure that I now can hire these people? instead of using them as work campers, because that wasn't in the budget before. Similar to like the whole student loan thing that we're talking about, right? People got used to not paying it for three years and now they don't want to pay it again. So how do we fix that? Any advice? Yeah, I'll jump in real fast. I saw join the Facebook group and I think they messaged in there or somewhere they said the park that they bought was buying or that they were buying was charging $250 a month, including electricity to guess, and it was a small park. First off, there's no way that park was making money at $250. There was just, there's just no way they're making money. So you need, you really need to work. If you don't have the skills to pull down your line items and understand where your income and your expenses are going, if you don't have that, you need to hire somebody to do that. And there are, plug Lindsay Foose again. She knows the general like average across the industry. And she can say, she can look at your line items and say, why are you paying so much for electricity or women? So Really understanding where your income and your expenses are going. And then simply doing the math. Hey, it's costing us on average $10 per site per day. And I'm making $8 per site per day. I need to raise my rates and make that average $11 per night per site. So it really becomes a math problem at that point. So all you have to do is line an amount where your expenses are going. If you're wondering what that looks like, and if you're just a cash register to pocket, go look at your tax return. See what your income and expenses were and figure it out from there. And then once you know those amounts, then simply you need to up your rates to compensate for that and add this person in there. Okay, now I'm going to be paying this person eight hours a day, five days a week to perform this role at 15 bucks an hour. Do that math on a monthly basis. Add on 35% for taxes and insurance. Now you have your amount that you need to cover every month. And now 
tack that on top of your rate. So an extra $2 a night for an overnight site, an extra $50 a night or a month for a long-term stay, you're at least compensating for those costs that you come on. There's a reason why inflation's out of control right now. I literally, I'm actually a little irritated. I just got my renewal for my own vehicle insurance. It went up $500 a year with perfect record. No, And when the insurance agent said, yeah, everything's going up, right? So that's just a point. Cost of business has gone up. Therefore, if you're not following with your rates and so forth, you're going to be eating that. And I don't recommend that you eat your money unless you actually spend it on food. Boy, that's a whole nother can of worms. We don't have a lot of time to unback on this. But <laughs> you're if you're not paying attention to those line items and inflation hits you and you don't expect it, but go ahead, Mike. I was going to say something similar to Mark. And really, the number one answer is you got to increase your income, right? It's not sustainable yeah. if you just absorb expense and you don't increase your top line. So if you aren't using a company like Insider Perks or camp, campgroundviews.com, you should look at that, but you have to drive your revenue. You cannot just increase expense and expect that to be a sustainable solution. So to, to Mark's point, I think that's really the number one answer. If you're going to have to transition to that system where you're going to add another 50 or hundred grand to your, to your expense line, then you got to offset it. That so way. I think we're all agreed, like kind of the first step though, is to figure out where you're making money, where you're not making money, where you can improve your margins, where you can't, and then take it from there. Yes. Which yeah, is and where and, and from Fireside Accounting, but oh, sorry, Brian, I was just reading an article. There was a large utility supplier in, in the middle of the country who was literally saying that they won't have enough electricity production to, to go with projections out for ten years. Taking that aside, the big thing is electricity costs tend to outside of employees, electricity costs tend to be the number two line item, the cost of, of your utilities. So that's usually a low hanging fruit. It's a, where if somebody's acquiring a property in kind of renovating and improving it, metering sites for seasonal or long-term guests. That's a big way to start recouping those monies. But even, you know, even looking at potentially charging people for short-term rates, I think that's where we're going. I was spending some time on some online consumer forums and there are legitimate conversations going. In fact, there's a guy on one of the forums who is actively building an electric RV. He's doing, he's in that space. And so he's building an electric RV. And I laugh because the comment he had is that it's going to be cheaper for him because he's going to put a 50 amp plug on this RV to charge his batteries on it. And when he's staying at the RV park, they won't know any better. He'll just be plugged into the shore power and it'll charge his RV. Anybody who's charged an electric vehicle knows that if you're doing that's probably 10 bucks a day and additional electricity being drawn off that pedestal to charge the batteries on that vehicle. Utilities, specifically the electric one, is a big one. And if you're going to expense anything right now to get your site up to date, I would highly recommend looking at adding meters and potentially digital meters that tie into your reservation engine into your electricity. Any other thoughts? All right. Well, let's switch gears here for a second then. And we've talked about Sandy. Are you sure you're with us? You're very quiet and it's very unusual. I you know, am, but I'm, really I'm here at the Mid-Atlantic Conference for all of the parks from the Mid-Atlantic. And so there's a lot of noise going on in the background. So I'm trying to be respectful of other people talking and everything. But this conference has been really exciting. And I leave from here going to Ohio. And the thing that I'm so encouraged about is that as much as we may hear what sounds like some gloom and doom coming from the manufacturers, suppliers, parks are here excited and they are still seeing significant growth. Some of the new data that's just come out, like from the new, most recent KOA report, is showing that reservations are way up still again, just for the first two months of the year. And they had a survey that was done of over 3,000 private park owners 
I think they said there was 1,500 responses and 20% of those park owners said they were planning to either build or buy a new park in the next 18 months. So that's really exciting. But I don't know if you can see people walking past me sometimes. It's some of the park owners. This is the, it ended at 12. And so everybody's out. Ground so we can see them. Oh, let's see. What if I'll have to figure out how to do that. It's set up and I don't remember when I did it. <laughs> you could be anywhere. We've all been talking about AI. Like you might not actually be at the show. So anyway. You might not How's be that? saying that we're talking to. Oh, that's true. That's why that's, that's this probably why AI quiet. The AI doesn't know that usually puts in her opinion and shares valuable things. And yeah, we've got to train it better. But yeah, I'm super excited to hear that. Obviously the industry forecast is great. We've heard a lot of that from Parks, right? We're excited about how the year's going. I don't know that I'm quite there yet. I'm excited for the year. Maybe you'll convince me, maybe I'll be wrong. We'll see, but growing is definitely a very exciting trend. And you growing, Mike, you grew today, right? Do you want to talk about how CRR grew for a second? Sure. Yeah. I want to take up everybody's time, but today a press release was distributed that the CR lifestyle company, we own and manage all of our own properties. We have several large upscale RV resorts and manufactured home neighborhood, RV storage, car wash, self-storage, a lot of different type of outdoor hospitality assets. We've had some great success. Our park in Camp Verde was announced as park of the year at Arvik this past year. And so today we have announced that we are offering third-party management services. So we're entering into that realm to offer services for folks who are looking to improve their marketing and their bottom line and their reputation management and protect their employee and reduce their risk. That was released today and we're taking on new clients. Awesome. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Continuing to grow. So what else do we got? We got 18 and a half minutes here, guys. I can't think of all the ideas. We could ask ChatGPT to come up with ideas for the last 18 minutes. Well, but. San Sandy's at the Mid-Atlantic. There's actually a lot of trade shows. This was the first one kind of starting up here. And then there's Ohio. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of additional shows coming up. Waco's coming up. And then you have Texas, California, Florida. Um, are you going? Um, to Maine. I'm sorry. Where are you going? Are you going to any of them? So I will be actually, I'm going to be doing a consumer show and then the California show. So I'll be down at the Escapade Rally down in Tucson in about two and a half weeks. And then after that, I'll be making my way up to the California event, which is outside of Sacramento. So that should be fun. I know the cool thing about Diana's event is she will be doing a software panel. She asked me, or and we'll see if she holds out on this offer to go ahead and moderate that software panel. So You'll have me asking them questions. I'm so excited about this. So we'll be doing stuff like that. That those are the two events that I'll be attending. Who's on the software panel? Can you give us like a peek? Give it, share some of your questions. So well, we I, so Diana is going to give me the questions, which is oh. dangerous. Can't, as Ryan, I can't stick to a script, so I have no promises there that I'll stick to the questions. So it might go off the left field, but I believe she has, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but all the major ones. So Camp Spot, Firefly. I believe new book's going to be there. I think Life will be there, Resonexus. So all the big ones, I assume, will be there. In Mike's nodding like he knows what you're saying already. So please, Mike, if you like. No, I mean, he's describing what I'm familiar with as well. That's the opening afternoon. So hopefully the weather will be nicer than where I am. So we'll see. But uh, Diane is always kind of future-looking, forward-thinking, and, uh, you know, it'll be exciting. Last year, the hot topic was wildfires. This year, I think it'll be Plenty. much more around. Wait, it, yeah. it was the hot topic? Was that a play on words? Not intentionally. 
Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things I do miss is being able to go to all these shows. I can make the time for it, but it's $1,200 round trip to fly to all. Like I can't, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. From a time or ROI standpoint, it would take a day to fly everywhere, a day to fly back, all that kind of stuff. Brian, if we can go on that, it's actually an interesting topic because even the directors of these shows are aware of that. There's all of these events going on. And for the vendors, vendors especially, because the vendors, their fees are usually what support these events and make them happen. It's incredibly yeah. expensive to travel to, stay at, and move to all these shows. It's like me personally, I won't fly anywhere. I'll drive. So we're taking the camper, we're driving down to Tucson and then up to California and back. I won't, because it's actually cheaper to do that drive than it is to fly. Plus, I enjoy it more than flying and going to the airports. But it's a problem for our industry, not so much for the campground owners themselves, because usually they can drive to the location. But for the other ancillary speakers and vendors that need to get to these shows, it is a problem. It's expensive to do that. And so I know there's no answer for that, but I just want to vocalize that so other people hear it, that it's a challenge for these folks that are running these events, trying to get the vendors there, trying to get the support sponsors for these events. And there's a lot of them. It's cool to go to the shows. It's awesome to meet everybody in person, but it is a big expense. And I'm just putting out there that it's something that your directors are thinking about. And so if you're a member park, talk to them. It's something that they're worried about right now. And it would be fair well, to say that you love to help the industry and contribute and give back wherever you can, right? That's a fair statement. Absolutely. So you're willing to carpool with anybody who needs a ride to any of the shows? If you'd like, I got room in the rack on top of the camper. You can hop up there well, with a chair. And I was just going to tell you, hit, hit us up if you need a place to stay. We got resorts all the way from Tucson to California. Yeah, um, I'll but it's interesting, Mark, Brian, I think... Karen and I talked a little bit about this. I love the Canadian Outdoor Hospitality Conference and how they do it. For someone who's about as far south from them in the United States as I could be, I like to participate. And the way they do the virtual training, you can look back up this session because I wasn't able to attend most of it because I was at another conference at the same time. And I think that, I think other conferences should have a version of a virtual so you can participate and you can see and view and look at all the different sessions, number one. Number two is, I do the state association conferences won't necessarily go away, but just like the hospitality industry, the hotel business is going to need to be a consolidation, right? You, you can't attend 50 shows a year. It's just not a reasonable thing. Like Arvik is the big national one. Now the glamping show is the big one in California. So I think there'll be more and more of that to help. Maybe there's five or six big ones that, that everybody attends that become the, the hot ones that, that you really want to make sure you're there for. And then if you're clearly a services driven person. Mark is obviously selling his services. You're going to need to pick and choose where you sell because you know, you can't afford or time-wise be able to go. So I think it'll evolve as technology evolves as well, for sure. I think that's a big whole interesting discussion that again, we don't have time to unpack in the next 13 minutes, but right. like, I think there's a lot of opportunity for associations to continue to evolve their services. And maybe part of it is the conference in the future, but maybe it's not, maybe it's figuring out new ways to provide education to people. But the other way, like it's a lot of it's technology, adopting those things that they haven't done in the past, working with mobile app providers or 360 doors like Mark, or maybe there's a partnership with a law firm that, you know, they can share revenue on or things like that. If they get, it's just going to take some thinking outside of the box. But I think very much like education, especially with these new AI tools is very easy to come by now. And so I don't know. If it's worth spending $3,000 to fly across the country to hear somebody give a 30 minute session on something you need to hear. And to that point, both Sandy's going to be a panelist on campers cards next webinar, which is I think next week, right? Sandy. And then Christine, you're doing a webinar with, with Irene in a week or two. So these are examples right there. And these are yep. usually done by private companies that are doing these webinars to provide information and so forth. But that dovetails directly to what you said, Brian, that 
there's these opportunities. The real question is, how do you create the eyeballs around it? The state associations, getting folks to attend those events can be challenging at times. How do they do that at an effective scale to where it's worth doing those events? It's just, again, I wanted to bring this up to put that conversation out there, that it's a conversation is being had right now behind the scenes. I can tell you it needs to come more to the forefront if we're going to continue to have these very worthwhile conversations within the different state associations. Yeah. All we're trying to do is have everybody get better, right? And that's yep. ultimately the goal here. But you can't, I just don't think like you can sit on your hands for much longer because things are going to change. And that's not just AI, but there are dozens, like look at what we're doing with CCRBC. Again, I'd like, I'd never, ever market myself, right? But we're giving the free websites to everybody who's a member of the association. And yes, we can do that because we're a larger company and I've been blessed and have growth and whatever else, right? But that's an example of something an association could give that would nobody ever thought possible. And that's super valuable to your business. And that makes them, it's one more reason to make them a member. And maybe that's, well, it is hopefully a little bit more powerful than being our printed guide in 2023. My opinion, but. So I think there's like lots of opportunities for these associations to get stronger. I think it just requires some thought. And obviously it requires not me, but a Mark or a Christine or a Mike or a whoever to say, listen, we can help you with this piece because the whole industry is a circle. And if you get yeah. better, we get better. Yeah. And it's a big switch for the different states to make those. And it goes back to, for me, it goes back to COVID. The reality was the state associations are what got our industry through this. Those state directors and the work they did during COVID. For sure. Yeah. Was huge. And so they absolutely validated, showed their value in it. And so then the question, and this is my question, not their question, but my question is how do they maintain that going forward with either questionable engagement or changing engagement from their membership base, being the campground and RV park owners? These folks literally got your businesses through it, but yet sometimes they have a hard time collecting their dues from park owners. They're like, yeah, I'm not going to pay you 300 bucks, dude. They literally kept your park. There's this, it goes back to building organizations, right? And if you're going to build, and what I mean by that is membership organizations. You need to go back to your membership base and ask, where's the value? How can I help you out? And then build your services to provide that. And it's a hard conversation, but I think it's something that needs to be brought more to the forefront because we need strong state associations. They absolutely prove their value. Absolutely. Uh, we do. I've over during COVID. So, you know, something needs to shift a little bit because it's very hard for all of the state association events that are taking place. Like from now until I think the middle of April, you could literally attend a state association event every single week from now through then all over the country. Yeah. Remember, I used to go to all the conferences like with COVID. When COVID hit, I had 45 days straight booked where I was wow. going to go conference to conference to conference to conference before I went home. And obviously that didn't happen. We got to Waco, but so yeah, that's anyway. But the, the point is there's lots of opportunities. You're right. We do need state associations. We need all of these people strong and it's just going to require some out of the box thinking. We can't sit there and just like work campers. We can't sit there and say it's worked for 30 years. Let's just keep going until something happens where we have, we're forced to think about yep. it beforehand. I would say that's, again, not bigger rate. That's the shift in everything. Where we are right now is we have to be receptive to the idea that things have changed. I've had a lot of pushback from some associations and stuff about California did a really great job with this when they switched to being only campground focused to looping in all of outdoor hospitality. But you'd be surprised how many state associations won't welcome the glamping venture or the thing. I wouldn't you know, be surprised. Or, 
<laughs> and I think that it's fake. Hotels have recognized that outdoor hospitality is something. So they've started adding their own outdoor hospitality venture as part of their hotel property if they had extra land and things like that. I always joke that ahead of their time, this pizzeria that is in the middle of nowhere, New York, had a drive in movie theater and they have for the last well, 15 years now had an airstream that they rented on Airbnb. It's behind the pizzeria, looking at the pizzeria and they're driving. And somehow it is always booked. And I think that that's that part of the change is recognizing that the business model has changed and the players have changed and embracing those changes and not going away from them. I think is where the current is right now that we have to be accepting of these changes. We started this conversation talking about AI. That's a scary change for people in services professionals mm-hmm. like me. As we think about, are we going to get you get thrown out with the technology? But everything changes. And I think accepting it is what's going to individual state associations better, our industry better. Embrace the change. Don't like it. Well, here's one of the honest things, and maybe this will get me into trouble, right? I don't know, but I'm going to say it anyway. Not legally wise, but maybe it'll get me, maybe some people will get mad at me. But I honestly look at this as, and I'm thinking of this while you're talking, right? Like you from a state association perspective, maybe you want to pivot. Or maybe you have, you see these things changing and you're an executive director or you're a board member or whatever, and you take this to your membership or you bring it up at a conference and you have a discussion. But what you find is that the same people who have attended your conference have been attending your conference for 20, 30, 40 years. And those people outside of the people who are like, cause they're not getting involved like they used to anymore, right? This is why conference attendance in some cases is down because the new players who are coming into the industry aren't really either aware of your association or don't understand the value or want to do virtual or whatever, right? Insert blank. And so maybe you aren't hearing from those people because they aren't attending your conference. And really there is a drive or a desire for your organization to pivot, but you're only hearing from the same people who have had the same opinions and not that those opinions are wrong, but you're only getting half the story. Does that make sense? Am I wrong or? No, I think you nailed it on the head there, Brian. I would actually, Ruben over at the American Glamping Association, for the state directors and even the board members who are wondering who's doing things right, I'm throwing right, not saying you're doing stuff wrong, but doing stuff that's new, is he's doing a really good job with his virtual events. He has these, not weekly, but pretty regular virtual events. And the attendance on those has grown significantly. The amount of people that are tuning in on a regular basis to get the content he's producing are very worthwhile. And so what that's doing is that's creating the touches. So if you're wondering how can you switch a little bit, maybe talk to Ruben, see what he's doing over there with the Glamping Association, because he's got some good stuff going on. Yeah. And I think it's not a case of, we're not saying Ruben has better ideas than anybody else, but if there is somebody different who comes into the industry from a different perspective with a different background and different companies talking to different people, then they, maybe they have an idea that you might not otherwise have thought of, but maybe you do that you can give them too. It's all about collaboration and talking and being willing to say, I haven't considered that, or I haven't considered that in two years. Maybe I need to relook at that or whatever. Instead of just an email survey, send a text in an email survey or whatever, right? Get a hold of as many people as you can, even if they're not members of your association and figure out what do people really want? You might be surprised. Well, we got two minutes. Sandy, I don't know if you caught that whole conversation. What's been your experience at this event? Well attended. How were the vendors? How was that event? I think it was well attended for their size. However, I think there was some poor planning because 
most of the vendors here, I think, feel like they did not get the attention they had hoped for because they had sessions the first day, a half day of sessions the second day, and then a half day of the trade show. And everybody ditched because they wanted to go. It's in Orlando. So they were going to something. And then today, all they had were the board meetings and some final wrap-up stuff, and it ended at noon. So I don't think that the vendors felt like it was as good as they had hoped it would be, but I'm hoping for better. We'll see what happens with the next couple. But I'm, the one thing I've noticed just in the couple that I've already done is the freight. That's everybody was talking about the freight cost of how much it was costing them to send their booths and all that and all the stuff. That was huge. One, just one that had a small booth because they came at the last minute. They found out about it a week before brand new vendor paid six thousand dollars to ship their stuff wow. because There's they no had never way you're getting that ROI back and unless you're expecting a lot more if you're selling a cabin that's the only way you're getting that ROI back on six thousand dollars I can't imagine another service maybe lawyers yeah. there's no bet <laughs> exactly and yeah, I'm, hotel internet went down go figure so that's why I lost <laughs> you for a minute and that's just all about adjusting and pivoting, right? Just like CCRVC, the first virtual conference we did the first year, we had great attendance. We had great attendance all three years, right? I didn't do it the last year, but I, mean, I didn't plan it the last year. It was still a big show. But what we learned after the first year was, listen, the booth has to be an important part of this, but the booth is not where everybody's going to go during the virtual show. So what else can we do to give these sponsors time to talk, to interact, to mingle, to incentivize, to gamify, to whatever, right? Because it's all about the sponsors because they're supporting yours, not all about, but it's a lot of a big chunk of it has to be about those sponsors. So how do I think outside the box? If I'm not getting the traffic to the booth, if I want to provide more education and vendor time, like how do I get them involved? How do I get their name out there? Because it's all about brand awareness and conversations, whether those happen during the show, after the show, via email or text or phone or whatever, right? Yeah. Just have to have the hard conversations. Yeah. One of the most successful shows I've seen so far, which I think is really interesting, is that Hit the Road Summit that Mark and Julie Bennett with RB Love have put on. What I loved about that is they make it all about education. So they have different speakers who speak. Everything, it's live the first day and you have to pay to be a, to attend it the first day. But then after that, you can sign up, pay an amount and see any of it for a year, which meant if you couldn't actually be there, you still had access to go see it. But what was amazing was the vendors that actually had people that spoke or that sponsored said that they could actually see the sales trickle in. They were significantly, they could tell definitely the day it was going on, but every month after that, there were residual sales. And I think that's a pattern that we could follow in the campground industry because obviously they're reaching the consumer. A lot of good ideas. I don't mean to cut anybody off, but we are right at our time now. And obviously, Christine is giving more time value-wise than any of us are. So I'm just messing with you, Christine. You're going to have to get the bill with me. I I promise not to name the voice. My email address is mharrison at... That was to all of us, right, Christine? Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Anybody have any final thoughts before we head off for the day? Have a good day. All right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. We'll see you guys. See you later. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.